0: Hello and welcome back to BTA Charity Voices Podcast with me and Hughes. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Nella Popovich, who has an interesting career that stretches itself into the third sector. Nella, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much and for having me Yes and I've obviously you are one of my good friends so I obviously sort of a see your career up close but I thought the best place for us to start and I know you did lots of other things before that but but would be at the Olympic Games and that was a huge part of your career and what actually brought you to Scotland ultimately Tell us about working on the London 2012 Olympic Games and how you got there?
1: It was actually really interesting and it was a once in a lifetime opportunity definitely to work on such an incredible event. Um, I've always had steady jobs, they were always never never short-term contracts and all of that so um, I got a call from um, a good friend of mine that I used to work with to say look there's these opportunities at the Olympic Games, they've seen your CV and they would love to have you um, come and interview for a job and It was such a scary prospect to actually leave a job that was steady and take a one-year contract that then led to God knows Mm -hmm. what after that so um but there was that was a bit of a leap i think in my career that was one one of the leaps and i decided that the opportunity was too good to miss and this was too big and i went and interviewed got offered Few different options there and um, taken a job with the Excel venue, which was, they say, one of the most complex venues in the history of the games because it had so many sports and so many venues mixed into it. And it was an incredible experience. At some point, it was such a steep learning curve. <laughs> Nobody was learning anything. We were just getting by, but kind of stepping back and, and looking at that experience, it was Really, really incredible. I mean, the amount of staff I've had to manage, the amount of venues, the complexity of the operations. Yeah, it was it was a great, great um, experience to to be a part of the Olympics in London.
0: Uh-huh. And so, your role within still, even within the sector now, is that more strategic role. So, let us understand a wee bit about what it is that you do. So
1: I guess, yes, it is strategic at the point of building whatever it is that is being built um, in my current roles. And then it kind of shifts from that to delivering that operationally. So uh, set the strategy. And then I think what I'm really good at actually is seeing the thing at at the inception all the way to the end. And I can see the path very clearly. So that enables me to kind of, build operations in a, in a really effective way. So I don't know whether you would call that strategy or operations, but it's definitely a mix of, um, mix of both.
0: Uh-huh, definitely. Oh, no, it definitely is. And something that I think is so specialist, isn't it? Like I, I know in the past you've said, if you need to land a plane in the field, then that's fine. I can organise it, but I just need to know the size of the plane and the size of the field. And things like that are interesting because you don't... When now, and given my career, when I stand at big events, I think, gosh this would have been a feat to put this on. And I don't know that like your normal person in the street sort of thinks about that, that actually you have thousands of people descending upon a certain venue and everything else that's got to be there at the same time that, that somebody had to sit and work out how that was all going to happen. It's pretty huge, isn't it? It is. And
1: actually people comment, when you talk about either the Kilt Walk or the Enchanted Forest or some of the big events that I work on, um, Kind of when you're talking about it, I don't think people quite grasp in meetings, and I've had many board members, many people that that have been in those meetings but never been at the event once they arrive at the event, go, "Oh my goodness, this takes so much work um and mm-hmm. every detail is thought through and I think that is the the beauty of of having a really good event is that you think of all the little things and make sure that they all build into one one big good thing but it is it's very complex very multifaceted takes a lot of people takes a great team Mm -hmm. um yeah and and a lot of attention to detail
0: yeah and so obviously you did the the olympic games and that was like again as you say once in a lifetime it would be part of that but it's actually that that ended up bringing you from where you stayed in london for many years up to glasgow to join the commonwealth games so tell us about that jump so
1: that was kind of take two on the on the big big games experience. so yeah, I, I got a call again to say um based on my experience in London, my previous experience in London, whether I would um, other other jobs in London, whether I would be interested in coming up to Glasgow um in a slightly bigger role for the Commonwealth games, um, I did the interview and then just found myself in in Glasgow, which was absolutely incredible and um it was an amazing experience because. It was slightly, small, uh, slightly smaller than London, uh, and it, it kind of enabled me to take it more in, whereas uh-huh. London was just uh, very high-pressurised, very go, 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 go. Glasgow wasn't easy, but it definitely wasn't um, the same way, so it, it made me enjoy it a bit more, which was mm-hmm. great.
0: Uh-huh. And you decided to just settle your
1: life here? Yes, and about a month in being in Glasgow, I was standing in Tesco and I just thought I'm definitely not going back to London. (laughs) So it kind of gave me a a different trajectory in my life and I'm absolutely delighted that I did stay and, and, you know, I've built an amazing life that I absolutely adore with my friends and family and partner here in Glasgow so that's been that's been a good positive move uh-huh. that, that the career, career has given me.
0: Uh-huh and so you finished the Commonwealth Games you had decided you wanted to stay in Glasgow so it was what does some with all your experience where do you take that was I suppose something I'm wondering if that was like a difficult thing to know at the time? It was actually really an interesting decision
1: at that time, because with the games, once you get into the groove of the games, you kind of get offered roles one after the other around the world. And that was a really tricky thing. Um, And the job, there was a job at the Kilt Walk that was being advertised at the time. And the Kilt Walk at the time was a a kind of medium to smaller type event. um, And all these other things that were being offered were all around the world big, big jobs, big salaries, all of that. And I just didn't feel that um, that was maybe the right path for me. And I wanted something that I could really make a difference with. Um, and Kilpo kind of seemed to to take all of those boxes at the time. So I decided to, to take that uh, and ignore all the you know financial rewards and all of the other stuff that the other jobs were offering and and really try and stay in and make a difference and you kind of in the third third sector you really have to want it yeah make it work and um and it gives back for sure it gives back so yeah, yeah it's it's, uh-huh. it's it was definitely the right decision to yeah. do that i think
0: and so when you joined the Couch walk that was sort of under its first guise which is was very different to what it is now. So obviously Tom Hunter got involved in the Celt Walk, I think 2016 was that? So they, they, they got involved. Yeah, the, the first event we've
1: put on was 2016. Yeah. I think the involvement kind of started in 2015. So yeah. yeah the 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 first guys it was a lot of kind of goodwill and a lot of big ideas. So that needed a, a tweaked a bit and when Sir Tom Hunter and the Hunter Foundation came in I was able to put on in in a really good base and a really good solid ba- base for operations for the for the Kilt-Wook events and you know it's been growing from strength to strength from that point onwards and it's actually done incredible incredible things for the sector.
0: Yeah and it really has and I can see that as someone who works obviously on a consultancy basis with a lot of charities that A lot of organisations that do really good work have had an awful lot of help, haven't they, from having this event that is just, it's put on. You don't need to do anything. You just need to get walkers to take part. And it's such a good event, isn't it?
1: That's an absolute beauty of the Kilt Walk. We'll do all the hard work. All you have to do is just bring your supporters and get them to fundraise. I mean, Kilt Walk has helped thousands of charities over the years yeah. it's raised 37 million pounds which you know I don't think any of us thought when we were sat in the room planning six years ago that it would be as phenomenal as that is and really it's the easiest platform to to make to to fundraise that's that's just the best way to yeah do it in Scotland really we take away all the headaches it's a lovely event people absolutely love it it's gets constantly praised for being well organized and you know that people just have a lovely time and there's a lovely thing that happens on the walk and a walkers constantly comment on that that you're never alone at a yeah. walk so you're always supported by by people around it our kilties it our staff and beat the walkers themselves who, uh-huh. who are all going through something
0: and again quite a feat isn't it to get all those roads closed all those parks that you need to use all I mean, it's a lot. It is a lot when I think about it. It gives me a headache. I'll be dead honest with you, Nella. And so it seems awful big, but I suppose you must be in the... I mean, other than obviously the pandemic when everything went, people just doing the Celt Walk on their own. But you're back this year. You've just had an amazing four events in 2022. So... It's it's a lot of planning, isn't it, to, to get that done and pull that off? That the team have to do. Yeah,
1: and the the most incredible thing, really, you have to build a really strong team around you because there's there's a lot of detail, and and the team we've got is really strong for the Kiltwalk. It's it's people who are really dedicated. And what I said before, in the third sector, you really want to want it, and we've had people come through the ranks in the in the in the in the organisation. We've had people come with their experience. And it's a really kind of well-oiled, good machine where everybody supports each other. So I would say that's probably the top thing up there is, is the team. And then it's a lot of detail. So it's about making sure that, you know, I can take kind of a view Slightly outside of that just to make sure that all those things are never missed. So I'll be going back to my team and checking and 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 double checking. We've got an incredible team of volunteers as well that give up their time for us um, in big numbers and that makes all the difference. They're the biggest enjoyment on the kilt walks. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. So yeah, dedication, detailed planning, a lot of documents, and I'm the one that keeps going. Have you done this? Have you done that? Just to to keep them keep them kind of right, and so that nobody forgets anything. But yeah, a lot of hard work from from a team of people.
0: Yeah, and you've already mentioned the Enchanted Forest, but I know that you work on a freelance sort of a consultant like myself, and therefore a lot of your time is spent with the Walk, But when you're not doing Walk in the last year you also took on doing the Enchanted Forest. Tell us what the Enchanted Forest does before you tell us what it is you do there.
1: So uh, Enchanted Forest is the, the biggest sound and light show in Scotland. It's been going for 20 years and um, it's been absolutely incredible over the years. So uh, we've just had two years of no Enchanted Forest due to, due to COVID and the pandemic, And it's been quite tricky um, to kind of get through that in this current climate with events. And we've just come back this year with a show that's just ended at the end of October called Together. So yeah, the Enchanted Forest is a, Community uh, charitable trust. So it basically, the money that comes back into the organisation, m- most of it goes either to charities or to the improvement of the shows. And we we uh, give money to local Highland Perthshire charities that operate in that area. So yeah, that is also the third sector, and it's it's incredible actually to work in a way where, in a sense, you're not driven by the bottom line in terms of profit and commerciality but more towards, you know, improving an event that then economically puts a lot back into the area and also helps the local charities. So that is really, really incredible, actually, to gives you more freedom when you're not... You still have to run it in in a kind of a commercial way, but the out, output is very different and the yeah. motivation from that is, is great for us and, and the team that delivers it.
0: Uh-huh. And so do you feel as if your career has served you well? Are you glad that you're in the career you're in, working in the third sector in that very strategic and operational way and all the money and all the good that gets done at the other end of all that, all those hours you put into all your paperwork?
1: I think it's kind of two-way. I think my career found me. So I I clearly have a set of skills which lends itself to this kind of work. If you'd asked me 20 years ago if I'd known what that was, I absolutely have no idea. But uh, it kind of led me from one thing to the other just to to see kind of just how maybe capable in this field I could be. And I've been really kind of lucky and kind of been in situations where that's opened up and I'm, I'm able to kind of, show that work which is incredible and then to have on to, on top of being able to use all of those skills in in a at quite a quite high level to get back all the good that these events do is actually probably nothing comes close to it i would say i mean when you see people walking on the kilt walk and you know that there's a special reason for for why they're there you know, the responsibility is enormous. I feel the enormous responsibility, not to anybody else, but to those people. Those are the people that we want to look after. It's an incredible feeling actually to be to be able to say that for the last so so many years I've been able to contribute to that in some way in, in Scotland, which is great. So Nella,
0: when you look back on your career, you know what was your proudest moment? I would probably say building the teams of people that have then been
1: able to achieve incredible results uh, in very difficult circumstances, and those have pro- probably there's been quite a few examples um, of that. And I'm proud of all of those people really for sticking by by the vision and sticking by me and and believing in the leadership to to get for me to be. I think that's. That's probably the my proudest moment.
0: Yeah, sounds sounds like a good one to be proud of. What's the best piece of career advice that you were ever given? Well, um, an incredible man that I that used
1: to be my boss at the National Maritime Museum called Roy Clare. He once told me, "When are you going to wake up and be the leader that you were born to be?" And this came came at me like like a, a, a fast train I, I was just looking at him thinking what is he talking about and then kind of the penny dropped and I really respected his opinion so I gave it quite a lot of thought and then all of these things opened up after mm. that so that was a, a great piece of advice I would say
0: oh wonderful that it's amazing isn't it that somebody can say something that he might have said to lots of people it might have been a passing comment who knows and the impact that's had on the rest of your career and therefore your life
1: yeah, and and actually, his leadership style was was something I've never experienced before. He is, you know, one of one of the best, if not the the best that I've worked with, and it really had a lot of weight. So for him to take the time and offer that up was brilliant. And then you kind of s- start seeing people in a different way and what you're capable of yeah. and what they're able to contribute. And and I've tried to do that since then with with the people that I've worked with and try and encourage them in, in whatever ways would have been beneficial to them. So, yes, it's great to meet great leaders.
0: And I think, don't you reflect that it's so important as we move on in our careers that we do say this to people when we see their potential? Because like that somebody, you know, saying to me that I could be doing so much and that, you know, go freelance, do this, do that. I had never seen it in myself before. And so it's like we have, as now leaders within this sector, we do actually have a bit of an obligation, don't we, to ensure that we've seen this to other people that are coming up behind us?
1: Uh, Absolute responsibility in pushing the the good quality people Mm -hmm. to. I always say, you know, I've taken a step, so now I can tell you to take a leap. Yeah. Don't take the steps, take the leaps. Nothing bad will happen, trust me. I've been there. I should have maybe done this and this at that time, but I didn't. And now I can see it clearly. So take what I've learned and you take the leap. And I've said that quite a few times in in the last few years to to people who work with me.
0: Yeah. And talking about that, what would you reflect on as the piece of advice that you would give people time and again? I would say not to be whatever. I think the fear, the thing that
1: you fear is probably the thing that's going to give you the most reward. So, sit down, assess it, don't take any kind of silly risks, but take the fear, turn it around and use it to drive you to do bigger things. I think that's probably, if I look back, every time I've done that, it's paid dividend mm-hmm. three times over than, than if I've been more cautious or, 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 you know, risk-free. So I would say that that's probably, you know, it's going to work out one way or another.
0: Yeah. Yep. And what about when you reflect on team? You know, you talked about that your proudest moment has sort of been those teams that you've created. So without needing to know what team it was, what is the thing that you think makes a team extra special good? This is how this team is going to perform and this is why I know they're going to because they've got this. What is that thing? What is that gold dust? I think it's important to enable
1: people to work in the best way that they can so to give them flexibility be it that time or be that working from home or, or be that the way they work and I think set them the goals you want to see and then you need to give them a bit of freedom. Sometimes you're not so lucky and you don't maybe get people who, who are not as, as dedicated, but the ones that are, if you enable them uh, an environment where in which they can thrive, truly thrive, I don't I don't mean you know society years we had to work a certain way then we had to work a certain other way and I think the maybe the pandemic has opened the eyes to a lot more people that the ways of working can be very different so taking that kind of model and then allowing people to work around their childcare, work around whatever it is that they want where they will be more they'll give you more uh-huh. if you give them more freedom to breathe I think I think that's one aspect of it I think it's really important to get the right people in the team in the right jobs um, because one person can offset that in quite quite a major way. So it's it's who the personalities are and how well, well they work together is very important. And then give them leadership that's not stifling, but it gives them a clear path. So you take them along with you. You consult them all the time. I, I talk to my teams and I always ask for opinions back. I always ask, you know, I always say, look, I think it, it could be this, but does anybody have a better idea? And sometimes you, you're not able to accept the better idea because of other factors. As long as you explain that, people feel valued and they'll always want to contribute more. Yeah. So I think being, I think that consultative, open way of working together. But then it, also if you have to push, sometimes you have to push, but they'll respect you for that if you've, given them all of that time so I think maybe mix of those things makes the gold dust
0: Yeah, definitely and you know I was speaking to someone earlier who reminded me that we actually went into this year, 2022 with some Covid restrictions in place again, are you excited about having a year of events next year in 2023 where hopefully there is nothing major like a pandemic to, to knock it out of, out of shape and out of place?
1: Unfortunately, I think the events industry will still struggle quite a bit for the next couple of years. I think the the impact of the costs and depletion of qualified staff in the industry and, you know, uh, goalposts changing so majorly has really had a major impact. I mean, it has taken all of our might this year to to make sure that the events go ahead, that they are good and safe and all of those Mm -hmm. kind of things. So. I think we'll probably have another another year at least of maybe harder work than it needs to be. And I, d- I then hope that things will start settling down. So ask me that question in
0: 2024. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Nell, and for walking us through your career. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure, and